1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. What does it mean to be a grateful person? What does it even look like? On the other hand, what does it look like when a person is consumed with ingratitude? Consider the encounter that Jesus had with ten lepers. He graciously healed every one of them. But only one, only one, came back and said thank you to Jesus. Let me read that scripture to you. It's Luke chapter 17, verses 15 to 18. The Bible says, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. Now listen to this. Here's the kicker in the story. He was a Samaritan. Now you realize that Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. But here are nine Jewish lepers who did not come back to thank Jesus. But here is the hated Samaritan who came back to thank Jesus because he healed him. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 17 of Luke 17, Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Here's what I want you to see. The Lord Jesus knew who was grateful and he knew who was ungrateful. By the way, he still does. He knows every person's heart in this room. He knows every person's heart watching live stream. And he knows if you're genuinely grateful to him or if you have a character filled and consumed with ingratitude. Let me tell you, ingratitude is totally unacceptable to God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 21, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For even though they knew God, listen, they did not honor him as God or, listen, give thanks. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, the Bible projects into the future. What will it look like in the last days? Well, the Bible says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. I'm going to be honest with you. I believe we're living in those last days. Verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, get this now, ungrateful and unholy. Now, you know why I believe we're living in the last days? 
Do you know why I believe the Lord Jesus could come at any moment? It's because what was prophesied here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 is exactly what's taking place in the world today. Like a poisonous potion, an epidemic of ingratitude is destroying our nation, our culture, and our families. Listen to the words of Abraham Lincoln spoken in 1863. Listen to him. He said, I quote, we have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation ever has grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Why is ingratitude so prevalent in our culture and our world today? If I had to pin it down to two basic factors, I would pin it down to these two factors. Number one would be a sense of entitlement. It seems like everybody in the world today feels like they're entitled to something. They feel like God owes them something. They feel like our government owes them something. It's a sense of entitlement. And also the second uh, factor is a focus on self, self-absorption. These two enemies of the faith are characterized by these kinds of thoughts Life owes me something. God owes me something. Or, or better yet, here's, here's one. I deserve this. Now, I want to tell you what. That kind of attitude will kill gratitude. The deeper we go into the abyss of ingratitude, the farther away from God we'll get. We must snap out of it, people. Now, becoming a Christian means that you have been rescued from the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of God and you've been redeemed from bondage to sin and you've been forgiven of all your sins. That's what it means to become a Christian. But what does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian means that you deny ungodliness and worldly desires. It means that you live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, millions of professed believers talk as if God were real and act as if he were not. Our actual position is always to be discovered by the way we act not by the way we talk. So true. Now let's see if we can take the scripture today and flip the switch from ingratitude to gratitude. My prayer is that when every person walks out of this building, that you will have flipped that switch and you will, will have committed yourself to living in such a way that God knows how grateful you are, not only by what you say, but how you live. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In a series of, of pungent little final reminders to the Thessalonian church, Paul wrote to them and said, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many people do you know who are always searching for God's will? I, I just want to know what God's will is. Can I tell you where you will find God's will? You will find God's will in God's word. That's where you'll find God's will. And the Bible says here in plain language, it is God's will that we be thankful and show gratitude to God. That's God's will for you. In Psalm 100 verse 4, this concept of an attitude of gratitude is spoken of in the Old Testament. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. That's God's will for us. In Psalm 107 verse 1, the Bible says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. We just sang about that, right? We, we sang about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And we're to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, notice what the Bible says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So thanksgiving should be an integral part of our prayer lives. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Aren't you glad you're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken by a stock market? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that you're a part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, that cannot be shaken by politics? Aren't you glad that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is an eternal, unshakable kingdom? And because you put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're a part of that unshakable kingdom. Therefore, since we've received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice with reverence and all for our God is a consuming fire. Fast forward to Re Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 to 17. The Bible says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken great power and have begun to reign. Do you understand that thanksgiving and gratitude is a part of what it means to live for eternity in heaven? Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, you will be expressing yourself over and over again in gratitude to God. But do you find yourself this morning recoiling against this demand, this command right here 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18? Because it is a command in the Greek language. Show gratitude in all things, at all times. And yet you find yourself in the middle of a messy divorce. Or you find yourself grieving over the loss of a loved one. Or you find yourself wrestling with a physical illness that seems that no one can figure out exactly what to do about it. Or you're wrestling with a, a financial nightmare in your life or, or you're in a season of discouragement at work or, or the agony, you're facing agony because of a prodigal son or, or a prodigal daughter who are way away from God. And you say, Pastor, how can God expect me to thank him in the midst of all of this? Well, I want you to know that's God's will for you. And I want to show you today how you can make gratitude a part of your life at all times. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, it's God's will to take every situation in your life, good and bad, and to use it for your good and for his glory. I, when I read this, I, th I thought about the Apostle Paul who received the thorn in the flesh. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You can read about it there. And, and Paul went to the Lord three different times. And he said, Lord, please deliver me from this. He had some kind of physical illness. And, and it was getting the best of him. But you know what God said to him? Paul, I gave this to you for a purpose. So that you wouldn't glorify yourself. So that you would be humble before me. And you know what Paul did? He didn't whine. He didn't gripe or complain. He just began to serve God with all of his heart. Even though he had that physical illness until the day he died. He leveraged it for his good and for God's glory. As a believer, you can rest assured that God loves you. We sang about that at the beginning of the service. The love of God. He loves you and he has the power to turn every tough circumstance that you face into something that will be good for you and glorious to him. Gratitude has a powerful and positive impact on our lives. That's been proven not only from the Word of God, but also from science itself. Two psychologists, Dr. Robert Emmons and Dr. Michael McCullough, made the following observation based on the study they conducted. They asked all the participants in their study to write a few sentences each week, and they each, he broke them up in, into to three different groups. The first group wrote about things they were grateful for. The second group wrote about things that irritated them or had displeased them. And the third group wrote about events that had affected them either positively or negatively. Listen to this. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude 
were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. They exercised more. They had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. There's a clear association between gratitude and an individual's well-being. I'll tell you what gratitude will do. It will keep you from becoming prickly and sour in life. School psychologist Dr. Jeffrey Froh, see this is true, not, gratitude is good not only for adults or middle-aged adults or senior adults or young adults, it's also good for students. Dr. Jeffrey Froh did a, a study with students and he, he found that grateful young adolescents ages 11 to 13 compared to their less grateful com- counterparts are happier, more optimistic, have better social support from friends and family, and are more satisfied with their school, their family, their community, their friends and themselves, and they give more emotional support to others. They're also physically healthier. He also, they also found that grateful teens ages 14 to 19 compared to less grateful teens, are more satisfied with their lives, use their strengths to better their community, and are more engaged in their schoolwork and hobbies, have higher grades, and are less envious, depressed, and materialistic. Obviously, we don't need scientific research to prove to us that it's good for us to to have an attitude of gratitude. I mean, the Bible is enough, but it's interesting that even science backs up what the Bible makes very clear. So I want to point out to you today four basic principles about an attitude of gratitude. Number one is this, choose to obey. Number one, choose to obey. Gratitude does not come naturally. We are naturally gripers and complainers. Be honest with you. It does not come naturally. But I'll tell you, gratitude is supported by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit who indwells every born-again believer. And I want you to understand that God never commands us to do anything without giving us the power to obey him. And when he commands us to show gratitude in all things, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to do exactly that. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul wrote, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, listen to this. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm I'm so glad that my attitude of gratitude does not depend upon my personality. My attitude of gratitude does not depend upon the kind of day I'm having. I, I praise God that if I fall on my face before God and I ask for the filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to live throughout that day, I can have an attitude of gratitude. I can obey God because it's a command here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I can obey him because the Spirit will help me to obey him. 
And I can have that attitude of gratitude. What a wonderful principle. Principle number one, choose to obey. Principle number two, practice is essential. Now, being an old coach, I can tell you that you're not going to win on Friday night if you don't practice on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I promise you. You've got to practice to be good at what you're doing. And practice is absolutely essential when it comes to an attitude of gratitude. So if you want to live out this truth in your life, you must develop the virtue of gratitude. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul wrote, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, now listen to this, and overflowing with gratitude. Hey, can I ask you a question? I want you to look in the mirror. I don't want you to look at your spouse. I don't want you to look at the person to the left of you or to the right of you, in front of you or behind you. I want you to look in a make-believe mirror, and I want you to look in your own heart and soul. And ask yourself this question. Is my heart, is my spirit, is my soul overflowing with gratitude to God? Or have I been caught up in the ingratitude of our culture? And therefore I'm being drifting, drifting farther and farther away from God. Only you can answer that question. But I want you to think of the impact that consistent gratitude could have on your family. I want you to think of the impact that consistent gratitude could have in your marriage. What if you chose today to practice gratitude? And so you went home today and you looked your, your spouse in the eyes and you thank them specifically for something they've done. And you, you begin to make that a habit in your life. Or, or, or you looked at the eyes of your children and your children have been getting on your nerves and, and you've been focusing on the negative, not the positive. But what if you went home today and this week and you began to practice gratitude toward your children and you began to thank them for what's positive in their life not focusing on the negative my goodness I believe it would have an amazing impact on your family your spouse your kids what if you today decided hey I'm going to take this attitude of gratitude seriously and, and I'm going to write a note to somebody this week that has really made a huge difference in my life. I'm going to write them a note just thanking them. What if you decided to keep a, a gratitude journal? What if in this journal you decided, hey, every single day this week, I'm going to write down three things in this journal that I'm thankful to God for, and I'm not going to repeat myself over and over and over during the week, I'm going to find three new things to thank God for every day. You know what you're doing? If you do these kind of things, you're practicing gratitude. 
And there's an old cliche, practice makes perfect. And I'll tell you, it'll make a difference in your life when it comes to gratitude. What if you this week decided that you were going to make Thanksgiving an integral part of your prayer life? And you began every time of prayer with thanksgiving to God. You entered into his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I'll tell you, it'll make a world of difference in your spiritual life. So here's the truth. An attitude of gratitude would change your life. It'll change your life. But you've got to choose to obey you got to remember that practice is essential. And number three, you got to remember this. Number three, insight is vital. When you choose gratitude as your default position and you consistently seek to develop it, you will be blessed with a freedom to view everything through the eyes of faith. And what used to be an obstacle in your, in your line of spiritual vision is now an opportunity. I'll tell you, it's amazing the difference it will make in your life with this insight that God gives you. Ellen Vaughn made this observation, I quote. She said, gratitude unleashes the freedom to live content in the moment rather than being anxious about the future or regretting the past. This kind of gratitude does not flow out of your personality. It's not some kind of, uh, of thing that's passed down from your family of origin to you and then to your kids. It, it, every person has to decide that they're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Genuine gratitude flows out of the depth of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. So the closer you get to Jesus... The more, added, the more gratitude you will have in your life. Now listen, express your gratitude to the Lord. Work on that. When you're driving down the road and you see a beautiful sunset, just, don't just turn to your family and say, man, it's a beautiful sunset. Why don't you just thank God right then? Now do that with your eyes open, okay? <laughs> don't close your eyes and do that. What, what if when you're buying groceries, the mo most mundane things of life, what if we began to really insert this attitude of gratitude and we began to thank God that in the store today they've got some meat? Thank God that you've got the money to buy the groceries. The little things. Learn to be, show gratitude to God for the little things. You can even thank God when you're sick. You know what you can thank God for? That you're not sicker. Seriously. Listen, Johnny Erickson Tata's in a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic. You know what she does on a regular basis? She thanks God for that wheelchair. My goodness. God's been so good to us. He's been so faithful to us. We shouldn't have any trouble thinking of things that we need to be grateful to God for. Here's the fourth principle. God is glorified. 
I'm telling you, when you develop this attitude of, uh, of gratitude, God is glorified. As I studied for this message, I was really moved by a verse in Psalm, Psalm 69, verse 30, where the psalmist wrote this, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. Magnify him with thanksgiving. Glorify him with thanksgiving. And it sent me on a search through the Bible to find particular emphases where this actually happened. King David assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord when the ark was being brought to Jerusalem. It wasn't an easy time that they had been through. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 34 and 35, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nation to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your promise. And I tell you, God was glorified in that moment. Then think about Daniel living in exile in Babylon. The king had passed a law that no one could pray to any God or to any man other than him for 30 days. Well, Daniel was a man of God. He was a man of prayer. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So he, what did he do? He knew that he could be in serious trouble. He knew it could cost him his life. But three times a day, he opened those windows toward Jerusalem and he thanked God. Does God really expect us to thank him in everything? Yes. Yes, he does. And God was glorified by Daniel's attitude of gratitude. I'll tell you, it'll change your life. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is the gratitude that flows out of your life as abundant as the grace that has flowed into your life? Now, when I, when I wrote that question in my notes, here's what I said. Pardon my English. Ain't no way. No way the gratitude that flows out of my life to the throne of God is equal to the grace of God that has flowed into my life that day. But you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to play catch up. I'm trying to make sure that every day I move the needle of gratitude in my life and I show more gratitude to God tomorrow than I will, than I did today, and, and then more gratitude. What, let me ask, what if God only gave us today what we thanked Him for yesterday? Hmm. I'm, this, this is important in our spiritual lives. This is important to God. So here's the four key principles we've looked at. Choose to obey. Practice is essential. Insight is vital. And God is glorified. Now, if you're a born-again believer in this room, you're a believer, these four principles ought to be active in your life. 
Every single believer listening to the sound of my voice ought to have an attitude of gratitude because God commanded it. He didn't suggest it. And you've got to make sure every day that you measure, listen, measure the outflow of gratitude against the inflow of God's grace that day. Measure it. And then keep pushing the needle. Keep making sure that your gratitude is going to new levels and new levels. And you're able to even thank, be thankful to God for things that you thought you could never be thankful for. I mean, I cannot imagine Johnny Erickson Tata being genuinely thankful for the wheelchair. But she is. If she could do that, if Daniel can stand at his window and thank God when his life was on the line, can we not thank God? Can we not have an attitude of gratitude? I think we can. And I want to encourage you today to come to this altar here in just a moment and bow before the Lord your God and just thank him. Just thank him. Ask him to help you to choose to obey. Ask him to help you to practice gratitude. Ask, ask him to help you to give you insight so that you can see what used to be obstacles as opportunity and, and pray that God would be glorified in and through your life as you express your gratitude to him. But some of you in this room, some of you watching live stream, you're not a believer. You've never repented of your sin. You've never placed your faith in Jesus. And you're dealing with guilt because of the painful failures that you've had in your life. The Bible calls those painful failures sin. S-I-N. Listen, sin will separate you from God in this life, but sin will also separate you from God for all of eternity. But I've got some good news for you. The Creator God has made a way for you to experience victory over your guilt. You know what He did? God made grace available to you and me the grace of God. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to this planet 2,000 years ago. Jesus lived a perfect life. He had zero failures. And Jesus was crucified. And the Bible says that God the Father took your sin and my sin and he placed it upon his son and the Lord Jesus shed his blood and offered his body as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And I tell you on the authority of God's word that God will forgive you. He will separate your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. And you won't have to beat yourself up for the rest of your life because of the failures you've had. God raised Jesus from the dead. And he promises eternal life to anyone who will believe in him and put their faith and trust in him. That's grace. 
guilt and grace. I'll tell you, that's something you can be eternally grateful for, right? Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Oh, I'm inviting you to come to Jesus today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, our staff to come, and we're here to minister to you. If you need prayer today, you come to one of our staff members, and we'll pray for you. If you want to come to the altar and bow before the King of glory and just thank him and show gratitude to him for specific things in your life, you come. But if you want to get rid of your guilt, you want to experience the grace of God and open up a reservoir of gratitude that you could pour out to God for the rest of your life, come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus Let me pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace and your glory. I pray, Heavenly Father, that through the Spirit's ministry, you would do an amazing work in people's hearts today. I pray you'd take every believer and turn them into into believers who have an attitude of gratitude. I pray you'd take every person who is outside of Christ today, who's dealing with guilt in their lives, and I pray that you would save them, bring them to Jesus in saving faith. Oh God, do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name.